increasing regularity are being neglected, rejected, and abused. The concept of tolerance now includes sin and is being embraced by the masses. Organized religion is facing a multitude of setbacks through the moral and ethical failure of many of its high-profile leaders. Christianity is now the second slowest growing segment of the 20 largest religions. with you in those more intimate ways. But we just so appreciate uh, your partnership with us. Marilee's going to just mention a little bit more what we actually do and some of the impact that we're seeing God do. It's a great story, isn't it? It's the topsy-turvy kingdom that was written by Josh McDowell and his wife Dottie. And uh, for those of you who know Josh and his writings, he's a, a very intelligent man and a great perspective on the gospel and the word of God, and uh, he just turned his energies into this with his wife, and uh, I just I love that. And it sets us up, up perfectly in terms of where we're going for the next few weeks. We are going to talk about the kingdom, but one of the grown-up things that we get to do is uh, look around in uh, sober mind uh, regarding our country these days, and that can be quite a, um, even a depressing experience. Our nation is not the land of opportunity that it once was. It's now a society where over 11 million crimes are committed every year. The rate of poverty is on the rise. Immorality is becoming the norm. Families and marriages are crumbling. The environment is being destroyed. Children, with increasing regularity, are being neglected, rejected, and abused. The concept of tolerance now includes sin and is being embraced by the masses. Organized religion is facing a multitude of setbacks through the moral and ethical failure of many of its high-profile leaders. Christianity is now the second slowest growing segment of the 20 largest religions in the country. And our cultural and societal system is failing. Now a significant percentage of the population, myself included, are wondering what it'll take to turn things around, to restore order, to right the wrongs and correct the course that our cultural ship is on. Who will save us? What will it take to bring about change? When will the restoration begin? Will it ever begin? What are the answers for us as a church and as a nation? And admittedly, the desire is there to see something big, dramatic, and powerful bring about that change. We all share that desire, and our politicians feed off that desire. Now, that's evident in their election campaigns. And that desire lines up with the desire of the Israelites during the time of Christ. They were looking for the restoration of their culture. They were looking for the restoration of their kingdom. They were looking for their king. And what they did not realize was that their king already walked among them. And they were looking for the wrong signs, the wrong system, the wrong person. That there in their midst was the right person, the right system, the unmistakable signs that the prophecies were coming true. He was not what they expected. His kingdom was not what they had in mind. But the king had arrived. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look there at a, at a part of this unexpected king's story this morning. If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and put your hand up, and the ushers will get you one. Uh, you'll want one to follow along in. 
We're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 13 at a great parable, and it starts in verse 24. So head to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24. this is what it says Jesus told them another parable the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field but while everyone was sleeping his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away when the wheat sprouted and formed heads then the weeds also appeared the owner's servants came to him and said sir didn't you sow good seed in your field where then did the weeds come from an enemy did this he replied the servants asked him do you want us to go and pull them up no he answered because while you are pulling the weeds you may root up the wheat with them let both grow together until the harvest at that time I will tell the harvesters first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn okay now skip ahead in chapter 13 to verse 36 Jesus is going to explain the parable of the weeds to his disciples. And we'll go back to the two parables that are in between there another time. Verse 36 to 43 says this. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now I'd like to ask you to put yourself in Jesus' place for a few minutes, but we really can't do that. We're just not capable of it. So let's take a good look at his ministry. What did Christ come to accomplish? What did Christ come to accomplish? Think about that. Engage your minds right now and think of all the things that Christ came to accomplish during his time here on earth and do this raise your hand when you've got at least two things in your mind two things that Jesus came to do on the earth okay these should come pretty easy to us they should come pretty quickly in fact if you continue to let your mind go with that and think through all of the things that Christ came to do it can be a little overwhelming now typically the first dimension of his ministry that we think of is that Jesus came to save the world true but incomplete. Jesus came to die and pay the price for our sin. Also true. He carried that burden around with him throughout his ministry and I cannot begin to imagine what that burden was like. He took up his cross when he started his ministry, not just after his beating on the way to his crucifixion, from the Jordan River to Calvary. Now let's keep going. He came to lead a perfect, sinless life. No small task. What is the longest period of time that you've been able to accomplish that, to be perfect? Kids, how long? Our innocent little children, right? Well, my two-year-old Asher's personal record right now is about 35 seconds. Teens, how about you? 
your parents have been telling me for the last four years that you continually remind them that you're perfect, but how long is that going to last? Jesus also came to disciple 12 imperfect men and scores of others. He came to heal the sick and give sight to the blind, to cast out demons, to restore lives and hope. He came to face the enemy on a regular basis and win every time. He came to overcome temptation. He came to overcome death. He came to stand up to the religious and cultural systems of the age, often alone. He came to bring peace when violence or retaliation was expected. He came to forgive sins. Do you want that responsibility? He came to offer mercy to those who did not deserve it. He came to offer grace to those who did not earn it. He came to be a son, a brother, a friend. He came to visit what was left of what he created. And imagine the effect that that had on him. Uh, we saw a documentary film at an IMAX theater this past week on the coral reefs. Devastating. Absolutely devastating. Breathtaking places. Wow. But the loss that has occurred there because of a two-degree rise in temperature in the ocean in much of the South Pacific is heartbreaking. And I can't imagine what it's done to the one who created it. I know Jesus probably didn't have much time for snorkeling while he was here, but he knows. He knows. He came to set an example for us, to pray for us, to teach us, to clear a path for us. He came to tear a veil in two forever. He came to demonstrate power over wind and waves, over hunger, over grief, over the grave itself. He came to tell us that he's working on our rooms in his house. He came to invite us to a banquet. He came to invite us into fellowship with him. He came to call us to be an extension of his ministry. He came to call us to be light and salt. He came to call us to follow. He came to call us to go. He came to call us to abide. He came to call us to grow up. He came to call us to love. And that's the start, just the start of the list. We could do this for hours. You want to experience Christ on a deeper level in your life. Sit down someday with the Word and make a list of everything that Christ accomplished in just three years. I challenged you a few weeks ago to try to read through the Gospels in the eight remaining weeks of summer, and I hope at least some of you have taken me up on that. Now add this aspect to it if you want to push yourself a little. As you read, make a list. Make a list of everything that Christ accomplished in those three years. It'll blow your mind. The sad truth is revealed when any one of us looks back at the last three years of our life and makes a list of all we accomplished. It won't be something that we proudly hold up next to Jesus' list. We won't be flashing that list when we get to the gates of heaven. It's not going to help us. And I can pick several three-year time periods in my life that I am ashamed of and embarrassed by. I've wasted so much time. But what he accomplished in his life and his ministry is astounding, absolutely astounding. And one, just one, of the things he set out to do was to announce a new world order. Uh, anybody have that on their to-do list this past week? He came to declare the arrival of a new kingdom. People were looking for a new kingdom, but not the one that he was talking about. But still, Jesus pressed on. He spoke of this new kingdom frequently, and you'll see this concept raised in all four of the Gospels over and over again. But no visible battle had been fought and won. No new borders had been established. The government had not met to discuss this possibility. It was not election season with Jesus having completed his coast-to-coast -to -coast tour to win votes. 
His ministry had begun, and one of the multitude of things on his to-do list was to announce the coming of this new kingdom, his kingdom, kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And in line with everything else he was doing being unexpected, he even announced this kingdom in an unexpected way. He spoke in parables, not through mass media, not in a concise, structured way. He didn't write down his operating procedures. He didn't set up government buildings in which to establish this kingdom. He didn't post job opportunities at the best educational institutions. He spoke in parables to a crowd that had gathered on the shore of a lake to listen to him. That's ridiculous. His expected success rate would be off the bottom of the chart. Even a revolution would have been logical. Spread the word, get people fired up and engage the system with the intention of overthrowing it. Ignore them, the religious leaders said of his followers, and they'll just go away. How could anything like this become a threat to the status quo? This man, the son of a carpenter from a town called Bethlehem, sat in a fishing boat just off the shore and spoke to a crowd that was gathered of a kingdom. But instead of following the word kingdom with words like power, rule, government, and so on, he spoke of a farmer who sowed wheat in his field and then some enemy who came along and sowed weeds in the same field. And rather than explain what he was talking about to the crowd, he moved on to two equally confusing parables and later explained what he meant to 12 guys who had already decided to follow him. His was not a topsy-turvy kingdom, but it could certainly have been referred to as the inconceivable kingdom. Yet in the midst of this confusing imagery, there was a point of cultural connection. This was an image that people understood. A farmer goes into his field and plants wheat, not in his tractor, but by hand. And there's something infinitely satisfying to an agriculturalist when he sows seed by hand. It's a forgotten art in our part of the world. I think the closest we can come now is going to our grandparents' farm and feeding the chickens. Just doing that, that's about it. But this farmer sows some wheat seeds. He accomplishes the task, sleeps deeply, prays that a good harvest will follow. But while he sleeps, an enemy of that farmer sneaks into the field during the night and sows the seeds of some weeds. Now this had likely actually happened to some of those who were listening to Jesus speak. It was a form of revenge that was intended to devastate the farmer. And now in Haiti, I, I witnessed many acts of revenge taken out on farmers who had made someone else mad enough to go after them. Uh, they didn't use the same technique of sowing weed seeds, but they would do all sorts of things from having the voodoo priest cast a spell on the farmer's field to coming in during the night and letting their livestock graze on that field, destroying the harvest and in turn the farmer's family. Vengeance is a powerful force and it can only be overcome by the kind of forgiveness that Peter was talking about last Sunday. In Jesus' time, revenge was often carried out in this exact way. So much so that the Roman government had outlawed this type of revenge, making it punishable by law. It was a real tragedy that happened to real people. And sadly, this crime and law exist to this day in some parts of the world. Now, the natural thought here is, why not just pull the weeds? 
Weeds are a problem in any field, and we've developed the technology to deal with just about any kind of weed today. Uh, at one point in my training in agriculture, I became a licensed pesticide applicator. Uh, we studied all the technology behind the various chemicals that are out there for our use these days, and weeds can easily be overcome. Uh, let me give you a little side note here. Please learn to settle for a lawn that may not be as perfect looking as your neighbor's. The chemicals that we pour into the soil to uh, control the weeds and the bugs that make our lawn unsightly in our terms are excessive, unnecessary, and unbelievably harmful to us in the environment. And I'm not saying that we should leave our lawns to become overgrown by weeds and turn yellow. I love my grass to be green. But learn something about the products that you so carelessly spray on your yard. Now here was the deception used in the acts of the enemy in the parable of the weeds. The plant that's pictured up on the screen right now is called Darnell. And until it matures enough to grow seed heads on it, it looks exactly like wheat. And it's not until it's nearly ready to harvest that you can actually tell it apart from the wheat plants. So pulling it up before harvest time becomes a very risky endeavor. You may mistakenly pull up the wheat as well as pulling up the Darnell. That's one risk. But even when it's big enough to tell that it's different, the roots of the Darnell have intertwined with the roots of the wheat. So by pulling it up at that point, you're going to pull up a lot of wheat as well. So why not just use the Darnell as a food source like the wheat and harvest it with the wheat? Well, here's the difference. When the Darnell gets seed heads on it, the grain that it produces is poisonous. It has to be separated from the wheat. And once it's separated, it's burned. Jesus explained the parable to his disciples. Jesus has sown us, his children, in the world. We represent his kingdom, which is yet to come, but already well represented here. And along comes the enemy, Diabolos, the liar, and he sows his children. And in many ways, we look the same. They penetrate our world, including our churches, and they spread their poison, producing more followers of the enemy. But God doesn't say that it's our job to root them out and destroy them. He leaves them to grow among us. Now that's not a kingdom. It's not how a kingdom operates, is it? Well, there have been times when I have wanted to simply go weed pulling. There was a family that joined our ministry in Haiti while I was there, and I've, I've spoken about him once before. It was a long time ago. But the man in that family was there to transition into my position as the agriculturalist on the team. And one day he decided to enlighten the rest of us on the missionary team with his thoughts on the blood of Jesus. And what he was absolutely convinced of was that the blood that Jesus spilled had nothing to do with the forgiveness of sins. God would never demand that kind of a sacrifice. It was simply a demonstration of obedience, even to death. And this was the word that he was spreading. He had selfishly and quite wrongly dealt with his own guilt by explaining away the most significant event in history, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, I had a very specific type of weed killer in mind for that guy. Uh, I told him the truth. I told him that he was wrong and that he was walking down a very dangerous path. But this weeding job belongs to the angels, as it says in the parable. We could easily think here that this certainly gets us off the hook. No judging, less work for us to do. But here's what I hope it will do instead. 
I pray earnestly that it will make us pay attention every time we hear Jesus' call to be fruitful. The enemy is going to continue to sow his seed. 18 of the top 20 religions in this country are growing faster than we are, considerably faster. Jesus tells this crowd on the shore of the lake that this is what the kingdom is like. It's going to face opposition. It's going to be plagued by imitators. It's going to be at risk. It's going to involve some force of angelic judges that will sift out the enemy, but not yet. That'll come later at harvest time, at the end of the world. There won't be some prison now where we can throw them in when they're caught, making the kingdom safer and more prosperous. Now it's going to be a fight from the get-go. But it's going to grow. And next week we'll look at a parable that addresses that factor. His kingdom would explode into all the earth. And he'll talk about inner growth. So there's more to it than just being a kingdom whose population outnumbers every other kingdom. There's an aspect of something that's unseen on the surface, an inner working. But we're not going to get into that today. There's mustard seed to talk about, yeast to explain, hidden treasures pearls, nets, and much more. There's a strange way indeed to talk about a new kingdom. No political strategy, no charismatic leader, no forceful domination. An unexpected son of a carpenter, humble, merciful, and loving. That's who would rule in this new kingdom. And as if things weren't unexpected enough, this humble, compassionate man had come to die. Now that's beyond inconceivable. And then there's the fact that he would die for our gain, not his. This whole campaign is based on love, forgiveness, and restoration. That's the kingdom that you and I belong to. We are citizens in that kingdom. Can you believe that? And one day, there will only be that kingdom. Every enemy of the kingdom will be gone forever. There will be no trace of anything that belonged to another kingdom. All that will remain will be two scarred hands and feet, reminding us of the price that was paid to ransom us back into the kingdom of heaven. So we come now to the remembrance of that sacrifice. We're going to share communion together. We're going to share the elements that represent the price that was paid to bring us into the kingdom. The ruler of that kingdom, the king of kings, laid down his life to bring us back into that kingdom. How's that for a king? Unexpected, isn't it? Unexpected. See, the expected isn't working. Kingdoms as we expect them have gained nothing eternal. The unexpected kingdom, Christ's kingdom, reigns forever was blood shed to purchase our citizenship in that kingdom yes it was but not the blood of the enemy that couldn't do it it was the blood of the king nothing but the blood of Jesus could buy us a place in that eternal victorious kingdom his blood shed for us his body given for us that's our king that's the one that we come to remember today take some time to go to the throne now before you come and partake of the elements 
Thank the king for what he's done for you. And ask the king to keep shaping you into a better representative of his kingdom. A humble, devoted, productive kingdom ambassador.